Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 44 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Stacy Pearsall, an Air Force veteran, photographer, and creator of the Veterans Portrait Project, which provides veterans with a complimentary, high-resolution portrait that they can share with friends and family. Their portraits and stories are also included in national printed exhibitions, showcased in VO productions, and shared via social media, ensuring that their contributions to American military history are never lost. The Veterans Portrait Project collection represents over 22 million military veterans in the United States. They're young and old, male and female, they come from all walks of life and have varied religious beliefs, levels of education, and racial ethnicity. What unites them all is their service. It's a bond that cannot be broken. Stacy is proud to be one of them, and I'm honored to be able to share her story with you. All that I experienced, I had to end the way that I did because I needed to be able to go through those emotions and go through that pain and allow myself to better understand to better understand the pain of others so that I could offer solace and really mean it. Welcome to the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes about veteran mental health. My name's Dwayne France, and I'm a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After I retired from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set right, however, it was just a huge useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing isn't set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support veteran service members and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast. Uh, once again, and as always, we appreciate you taking your time to listen here uh, out of the many things that you could be doing with your time, taking the time to listen and learn more about veteran mental health uh, is uh, is going to do you well and do your fellow veterans well. So uh, as you know, uh, we're, we're here after the beginning of the year. Uh, we just got done with a big push with our uh, veteran mental health boot camp, that series that, uh, that finished out over the last two weeks of uh, 2017. Uh, and, uh, and usually, as you know, I bring on mental health professionals who, who talk about the work they're doing with veterans. Uh, and occasionally I'll bring on veterans who are um, who have their own mental health stories, their own mental health journey, 
and who are helping other veterans. And, and my guest today is, uh, is really uh, doing a lot with helping veterans and helping veterans sort of uh, reconnect with their roots um, and, and has a pretty neat story herself. And so uh, my guest today is uh, Stacy Pearsall, and Stacy is a uh, Air Force veteran. Uh, she was an Air Force photographer at the age of 17, and and I'm not going to give the uh, the entire bio. I'll let uh, Stacy tell a little bit about herself. So, Stacy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, of course. And so uh, I reached out to you at the end of 2017, uh, maybe uh, uh, October, November, because of the great work that you're doing uh, with the Veteran Portrait Project. I've just been uh, I've been looking and watch. I could spend hours just looking at the work that you're doing. Uh, but before we get into that, I'd like to have you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, maybe your military experience. Absolutely. I was a military photographer, as you mentioned, in the Air Force. And um, ironically, I spent um, most of my deployments wearing an Army uniform. And my job was to basically cover down on any sort of training uh, exercises across the globe, as well as humanitarian relief, and of course, combat operations. And my job really brought me through um, 42 countries where I um, told the military story for all the people that were here, were here back in the States and couldn't be there for themselves. And really, my job, I felt like, was the best job in the military. And um, you know, when it when it came to an end, it was very bittersweet. And, um, you know, I, I sort of got listless in the wake after the uh, after my medical retirement. And uh, anyway, that kind of leads us into um, post-traumatic stress and dealing with that. And um, that's pretty much the cliff notes of my story. So uh, and how long did you serve? Well, I served 10 years in uniform, 12 years on paper. Sure. Um, and, and so that, that 10 years, and, and especially now with these, um, uh, these experiences or, or these uh, current eras, 10 years, you can pack a lot within 10 years. Um, actually, one of the section sergeants that, uh, that deployed with me when I was a platoon sergeant, um, he was in on the invasion of both Iraq and Afghanistan and both surges. And that after the end of 10 years, he said, I'm done. Right. You know, so there's a lot that could be packed into that 10 years. Uh, but it's interesting you as a, a combat photographer um, uh, that uh, you didn't just see through your own eyes, but you saw combat through the lens. Right. So you, you saw it in a different way than other soldiers did. I think I've, I've spoken to other uh, combat camera and and uh, and it's a different way you're seeing combat not for what's happening but also for how to present it to those that aren't there right absolutely I think um, I think it sticks with us a little bit more than what than the memories that we have because the pictures are tangible we can always refer back to them and they're kind of seared into our mind's eye because it it takes a lot to preconceptualize an image to go through the motions of capturing it and then it's not necessarily just archived in the in the picture form but it's archived in our minds each and every picture each and every person that we meet each and every caption we we write down and so each individual is no longer just some anonymous individual it is a person who has um even for a brief moment, impacted our lives. 
You know, that makes a lot of sense, especially from a mental health standpoint, you know, um, with brain functioning, that that lower part of our brain is sort of the black box where everything gets encoded and our memories stay there. But that front part of our brain with the cognitive processing, that's what you're using as a photographer, as you say, to to how am I going to tell this story? How am I going to frame this shot? And so um, for you, it's almost and not to push the the metaphor, but it's almost a. a uh, double imposed, right? You know, it, it's it's um, double exposed, I should say, both in your subconscious memory, but also in your conscious memory. Yeah, yeah, and you know, <clears throat> after my last deployment, I I took a real long time to before I went back into my archives and actually looked over the photos. It, it's hard to disconnect the imagery with the sort of visceral memories that go along with it. The the emotional experience, the the smells, all the, all the things that our memories tend to link with certain visuals in our mind. And and again, that's a, that is a thing for a lot of veterans. Of of course, um, if we watch you know, maybe Vietnam veterans watching Platoon, or, or but uh, just recently, um, the miniseries "The Long Road Home" just op- just finished up, and and that was a very good depiction of the early parts of Iraq in two thousand four the uprising cider city and so families uh, as we've been talking about in the change your pov podcast network families are understanding more about what that is but they're not getting the full experience they don't get the smells of course maybe they get the sounds a little bit of them they get the visuals but they don't get that full sensory experience of the smells the feel of of the cold sweat running down your back or the feel of hair standing on in it so i can very much see that as you went back and, and sort of looked over your archives, um, they weren't just pictures for you. They were, as you said, tangible memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, and you, you've said on, on some of your, um, your interviews that your transition was difficult. Um, so oh, what, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's yeah. a, 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 an understatement, but, but tell me a little bit about your transition, what that was like. Sure. Well, I think it all goes back into, first of all, um, after my deployment, I, um, I had a deployment in Iraq in 03 and again in 03, 04. And so when I came, when I came back in 04, I went to Syracuse University. So I had 10 months off and I was physically rehabilitating from an IED. And um, it took a Vietnam veteran kind of cornering me and saying, you got some things you got to deal with. Let me hook you up with the vet center. Cause I, the thing was, I had not been sleeping very well. And before I even left for Syracuse, I was stationed at Charleston Air Force Base at the time. I went to the mental health clinic because I knew I had some issues and I was sort of self-identifying like, hey, this is a little stressful. Maybe I need to talk to somebody. And I went there and the gal behind the desk asked if I was there for marriage counseling. Right. They thought She thought and- she was a spouse. Right. And then she proceeded to say, well, did you talk to your primary care provider? And I was like, well, what does he have to do with it? Like, it's not a, it's not a physical health issue. It's a, it's a psychological mental, mental health exercise. Like I need support in that regard. That's why I'm not sleeping. And she just sat there chewing her open mouth, chewing her gum, which was vexing, deeply vexing. And I got really frustrated. I was like, you know what? Forget it. So I turned on my heel and I walked out, at which point one of the counselors had overheard what had transpired and she ran after me. She's like, please come back. I'm like, no, that's, that's it. I'm, I'm done. It took a lot for me to get in here in the first place. 
you know, because there's so much stigma around it. And she's like, well, at least see the chaplain. Let me let me hook you up with the chaplain. I was like, fine, I'll hook up with the chaplain. No problem. So we set an appointment. And of course, like a good military member, I was there 15 minutes early. And five minutes go by, 10 minutes go by. It's the time of the appointment. And he's still not there. Like his door is locked. Like lights are out. And I wait 15 minutes after my appointment. Come to find out the chaplain had totally bounced on my appointment and went golfing with the mm-hmm. commander instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, that sort of set me up for my distrust for mental health providers or counseling or support. Uh, later, down the road, when I was um, approached by the Vietnam veteran, he said, let me hook you up with a vet center. I was very skeptical. And whilst I was in Syracuse, I did uh, link up with a gal by the name of Pat Chase. And she was the team leader there at the vet center at Syracuse. An amazing woman. And I attribute her for giving me so many skills. (laughs) Ones that I needed to really understand the experience that I was going through. Pat Chase, I really attribute to um, giving me some skills that I needed moving forward. I wanted to stay in the military and I wanted to be the best I could. And I knew that this was always going to be part of the job. There was always going to be stress about it and things that you take home with you and things you have to cope with moving forward. So she gave me some really great coping skills. Thus, I deployed again and again and again. And after my last time, I came home and I really thought I was doing all right on my own. Um, Truth be told, I had been injured in Iraq again. And this time, uh, I was not healing as fast as the military would like. And therefore, they put me on a temporary retirement. It was like having the rug pulled out from underneath me because I I was a military photographer of the year two times mm-hmm. and going out that year, I was military photographer of the year that year. And then I said, okay, well, you're not going to spontaneously get better. So we're retiring you. It was um, really, really difficult because I hadn't really coped with losing friends and seeing my battle buddy gets shot and feeling really guilty about that the shoulda woulda couldas that we all deal with in military and um on top of all that i felt completely and utterly abandoned again by my unit because my husband because we were both service members was also deployed and was still deployed and therefore people from my unit were meant to take me to my doctor's appointment and pick me up drive me there. I would get put under anesthesia. When I came out, they were to drive me home. And there were mornings they wouldn't show up and I would be taking a taxi to my doctor's appointment. Uh, So feeling the loss of my uh, career, feeling completely abandoned by the people that I trusted, you know, implicitly, and then dealing with post-traumatic stress, which I, I thought I was doing all right, but I really wasn't. And it was just all coming down on me at once i was in a very very dark place and and so and that's as as you left the air force the support wasn't there and so you you probably didn't expect that support would be there after you left the service um there's there's this concept of of how we as as individuals prepare to change right we have to know that there's a a reason for us to change we have to want to change and actually you know uh, come around to that the military and, and and I'll admit it myself, you know, the military really doesn't care whether you're ready for that change or not. That change happens. Um, you, you leave wherever you're at in that process of, of getting used to not being in the military anymore. 
they they say, okay, your time is done and you have to be out. And so that can be, like you said, the rug pulling out from underneath you. But, you know, um, I, I've going from 90 miles an hour to zero and slamming on your brakes. Um, I've described it as jumping out of the plane into a fog and not sure if your parachute's going to open. I mean, all of those different metaphors to describe the... When I retired, Stacy, it was 22 years. I, I started planning my retirement it really four years out, 15 months out. For you, you didn't have that lead time. Uh, you didn't expect to get out after 10 years. You thought you were going to be in for much longer. And it was a, it was a, a very abrupt um, departure. And at the time when you needed help most, you were less likely to get it and less inclined to seek it. Is that accurate? That is actually 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, then, yeah. I mean, in, in even your 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 uh, description of how it was for veteran uh, going into the counseling office is one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast is to be able to let other providers who want to help veterans know that that's not what you do, right? You know, that's not how you manage someone, especially the stigma of, of trying to reach out for help. But that's the reason why most veterans um, will avoid treatment. Um, they will... Uh, and, and I often say it, veterans don't need a real good reason to avoid therapy. And, and you had a couple of really good reasons to avoid therapy. And you just said, screw it, I'm not going to do it. If we clinicians, um, if, if we're telling veterans to come knock on the door, we need to be there to open the door when they knock. Um, because if we don't, we're going to lose an opportunity. Right? right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, fortunately for me, I still had Pat Chase who I could call up and say, I, I am not doing really well. And, you know, through the phone, she would just offer me a chance to talk about what I was feeling and go through those emotions. So in a way, I never really was alone. It just get at that time. And, and I think when you are so immersed in your own mind and all of the emotions that you're feeling, it's hard to see the forest in spite of the trees. Things, things are often right in front of you. It's just you just have to reach out and realize it's there. And for me, um, Pat had never left. I just was so blind by my own depression, I guess, in right. a way. Uh, I, I often explain it, um, you know, veterans are down on the bottom of this well, right? And, and the walls are very close in and they really don't see any farther than three or four feet in front of them, if that. Um, but, uh, and they may be shouting and they never hear a veteran or they never hear anybody call back and say, hey, I hear you. Um, there is a way out. It's just long and difficult. Um, but that's where, um, again, for me to be able to talk to veterans is sitting down and talking to a therapist who understands the unique aspects of veteran mental health and, and military mental health um, can help you get that perspective, that outside perspective. Let me get the thoughts. And, and I think, and, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but you as a, um, as a photographer, you take pictures that you have in your head and you make them real in front of you, make them tangible, right? You know, that's, that's sort of the, the way that, uh, that you develop, like you said, frame the shot. Therapists can do the same thing by you talking. This is my experience. And, and maybe we say, is that accurate? Maybe we say, is, is that a real way of looking at it? And so getting it out of your head and into reality gives you a, an objective way to uh, sort of observe it. Mm-hmm. So after sort of that transition, you said there was a period of time before you really got into or, or maybe getting back into photography? 
Yeah, I, there was this hiatus, and my doctors were um, very adamant that I was to sort of rest my body and that I wasn't to lift anything over five pounds or stand it for any prolonged period of time or uh, basically, in a nutshell, not do photography. And that, that too, was really crippling, not just sort of professionally, occupationally, and like fundamentally, I love I loved doing photography. So taking that away ultimately had an impact on me emotionally as well. And, and, and essentially, so the military took my career, the doctors are taking away my ability to do photography at all. And now, now what the heck do I do? I have no identity and no occupation. Now, what do I do? And plus I was in so much pain, physical pain at the time that I was drowning in, um, pain management drugs, which was absolutely com- complex, you know, making it more complicated than it had to be at the time. So it was a tough road to hoe. Yeah. And, and again, in your experience, and we hear from, from many veterans in, in sort of the same way, you said they took away your identity. They took away your military identity, but your profession was also your identity. Combat photographer or being a photographer wasn't a job for you. It was who you are. It was what you did. Um, and that that leads to more existential concerns or, or purpose and meaning um, rather than just post-traumatic stress disorder. Sure. And so if the, um, the, the doctors were trying to get you to rest in one aspect but weren't giving you uh, avenues to be able to still pursue something that was internally fulfilling for you and gave you a, a purpose, again, common experience for a lot of veterans um, to, to really kind of break, that, break out of that or even understand that that's a, an issue. Uh, one of my co-hosts, Jeff Adamek, in, in one of the original shows, he said that he was a Special Forces uh, Green Beret, said the Army said I couldn't be me anymore. You know, that's <laughs> it's it's not to say that I'm not, you know, I, I retired from being a teacher, but I, I am no longer allowed to be myself. Um, and, and that's a, a fundamentally difficult thing for someone to kind of transition to, um, to not have anything to right. fill that spot. Right. Well, now, now, now you're putting your life in somebody else's control, and they are dictating to you who you can and can't be, and that is completely opposite about how we're trained in the military. You know what I mean? We are supposed to have um, control over our uh, function in the service, what what our key mission is, and to have con- positive control over our weapons and our area of operation, the person in front of us and, and all these things, we have control over all of these things. And suddenly I found myself listless and completely and utterly out of control and out of touch. That I think too was very difficult. Not only that, but how I could not articulate everything that I was feeling to my significant other at the time. So it ha- was having a very negative impact on my marriage, which that was really the only good thing I had going for me at the time. And it was completely getting flushed down the toilet because of all of these outside factors. Right. And again, that applies back to um, uh, the, the series of podcasts, the, the Veteran Mental Health Boot Camp, that things that go just beyond post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury. You know, I, I, I understand that, that uh, you also have a traumatic brain injury, um, but those aren't the only things that are managed or that are challenging. Um, the emotionality that comes from, from betrayal, from being betrayed by your unit, you know, that, and maybe betray is a strong word, but I get the sense that that's really what you felt at, at that point. Um, not being able to meet your needs and then family issues, all of these things compounding can can really 
have an impact on a veteran's post-military life. So Mm -hmm. it's not that way anymore, or, or maybe not as much that way. So, so how did it, how, how did you maybe manage these things or, or resolve these things? Well, once I got my physical, um, physical rehabilitation in check and I was, um, doing well, better with that, I made space in my life to begin, um, doing mental health work. And so I found a counselor at my, um, VA hospital and they were doing, um, trust me, I've tried it all. Um, (laughs) I've done exposure therapy, um, rapid eye movement. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, is, did I say prolonged exposure? Mental health. Uh, yes. so, talk about traumatic brain injury. There you go. Um, anyway, if if they were offering it, I tried it. And I actually gave um, prolonged exposure therapy a, a really good college try. I, I did it for six months. The thing was, it made me a wreck. And I would go in... I'm, I was trying to work too. Like I was trying to get back to work and do something functioning with my life. I would go in there and I would be so devastated walking out that I I would have to just go home and lie down for the rest of the day. Right. And my husband's like, what is this doing to you? You're, 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 you're a wreck. You're a mess. This is awful. Um, so after six months and while I noticed, um, some marginal change, maybe, um, it really, I think, the the bad did outweigh the good results for me. So that wasn't really the right fit. And um, I, and and again, I go back to um, I find solace in my work, and I think that that is therapy for me. So when I began the Veterans Portrait Project, in communicating and relating to the, my fellow veterans, that began the real healing process I needed, and the validation I needed, and to be able to bounce my thoughts and ideas and emotions off of them was I found very therapeutic uh so not only was I getting the camera back in my hands and kind of thumbing my nose at the doctors who said I wouldn't be able to do that but also beginning the healing process emotionally and and therapeutically for myself and and so and I and I see on your website and I'll definitely make sure that the um the website and and everything connected is being the show notes but uh, it says that it started out as that cathartic process for you, um, that, yep. uh, that, that prolonged exposure, although it's, uh, it's opening up the closets and it's peeking in the duffel bags and you're unpacking everything and, uh, and finding out stuff that you didn't know was there. And, but it, but then you didn't really know what to do with that stuff. And it just kind of lingered and, and, and it sounds like not a lot of assistance in tolerating the distress of these memories, um, that you found another outlet and that was through the veterans portrait project. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, and I'm not sure if, you know, not, not that we've talked extensively, but just the, the um, creativity in the arts, that's where you were comfortable. I mean, photography is much of an art uh, as, as it is anything else, a profession. Um, and so being creative and framing these shots, that's a, a different part of your brain that you're using um, rather than just talking about these, these memories. Um, and so in, in many ways it's, it, it can lead to neurocognitive restructuring, um, and it can be physically healing as well as therapeutic kind of emotionally. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, on the one hand, um, I use the Veterans Portrait Project as my therapy and my healing, but on the flip side of the coin, 
you know, some some veterans they turn to drugs and alcohol. That's their scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Mine is workahol- workaholic. I am a workaholic. That is my way of deflecting and addressing my own emotions. So I will literally overwhelm myself with the Veterans Portrait Project in the hopes that I don't have to address the ugly feelings that tend to well up <laughs> unexpectedly. So um, it's it's been a real learning process. And uh, I would not say that I have completely like nailed it. I have my own issues and I, I wake up every morning saying, okay, today's going to be another challenge. Um, but and that the Veterans Portrait Project has been for me thus far one of the best outlets. Well, and and it's good awareness on your part, Stacy, that that's a you know just because it's not a quote unquote bad thing, it's not necessarily a good thing either. Uh, when I uh, was getting ready to retire, uh, and then all of a sudden I found I had all this time in my hands, I started throwing things up against the wall to see what they stuck, and and they all stuck, and I found myself very quickly overwhelmed. Um, I've been retired since 2014, and my wife recently said, I thought we were going to see more of you after retirement, not less. You know, and so there's this this urge to do, this urge to be, um, and, and that can sort of um, be debilitating. It can, it can get in the way. But it's also good awareness that you kind of know that um, and kind of pull that back. Now, I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the Veterans Portrait Project, um, Again, I, I just I'm, I'm sitting here. I, it, this is some amazing uh, photography that you have. Um, so tell me a little bit about sort of where it was when it started and kind of what it had turned into. Well, I had been temporarily retired from the Air Force and therefore the VA began to pick up my care. And I was going to see neurologists and orthopedic surgeons and yada, yada, yada. Like every other veteran, um, I waited in the VA hospital for hours on end waiting for my appointment because they were overbooked. And the thing was, at the VA hospital, I was a bit of an anomaly. You know, most of the people were twice my age. Most of the people were men. And therefore, I stuck out like a sore thumb. Most people would be like, hey, you're bringing your doctor, your grandpa to his doctor's appointment. And that was right. frustrating as all get out. Not only that, but I had to constantly, constantly remind doctors that I'm the veteran, that I had combat experience, that my injuries were combat trauma. Like, I felt really in a way, disenfranchised. I was like, do men have to do this every time they're at the VA hospital? I doubt it. There's an automatic assumption that, you know, I'm like, what the H, man? This sucks. And feeling really pissy. (laughs) And one day, these Red Cross volunteers were there. They were passing out sodas and cookies. And I went to grab a soda and the gal slapped my hand away and she's like, those are for veterans. I'm like, what the hell do you think I am? I digress. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nonetheless, all of these factors, right, all of these reasons coupled with my unaddressed PTSD and the loss of my career and all the things that I can't do, can't, 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 not, 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 all the negatives. I'm sitting there at the VA hospital and a, an elderly veteran came and sat next to me and then he just sat and he stared at me. Oh, I could see him out of my peripheral vision and, the you know, uh, I could feel the heat rising in my face and I was about to tell him where to go when level heads prevailed and I asked him what I could do for him and it was just the moment he was waiting for his eyes shot open wide and he began to talk to me about his time in World War II wow. so there he was he talked to me about surviving Normandy about his time in France about liberating a concentration camp and I was thinking wow 
who's who's the prejudiced one now? Right? He didn't want to hit on me. He didn't want to make a pass at me. He wasn't staring at me because I'm this young female. He just wanted to converse and convey his own experiences and as they relate to mine. And here I am, the prejudiced one, thinking of all the negative things about him. In that moment, I realized you never know who you're sitting next to. And I looked around the VA and I was thinking every single one of these veterans in this in this hospital has an extraordinary story like Mickey Dewey, the man who sat next to me that day. And I thought, okay, well, perhaps next time I'll bring my camera. So I talked to the public affairs officer at the VA and I said, well, I want to bring my, my camera. And they said, fine, as long as they sign this HIPAA release. I'm like, sweet. So I would spend my hours whilst I was waiting for my doctor's appointments taking portraits. And then I found myself making appointments so that I could take portraits. <laughs> and my first year at the Charleston VA, I, I captured 300 portraits and stories. And then I said, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And I started um, going to Georgia and North Carolina and other nearby states. And then I said, you know what? I'm going to photograph veterans in every state and province from which the U.S. recruits. That'll keep me busy for the rest of my life. <laughs> And there, there you have it. It has been going on. It'll be 10 years next year. I have photographed 6,500 veterans. Wow. And see, and I, I think that I didn't even see the, the 6,500. I knew that it was thousands or as is over 6,000 veterans that you have on your website there. Um, but just that idea of um, who's going to capture this story? Who's going to capture the story of the, the generations that are passing? Um, as we know, the World War II generation is passing. Uh, the Korean War generation is not far behind them. Uh, my father, uh, a Vietnam veteran, was uh, 69 when he passed away, uh, and so the 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 the, pat, the former generations of veterans and soldiers are passing away, and who's capturing their story? And that's something that that you decided that you were going to be the one to at least capture this part of their stories. Right. Well, I figured, you know, what. What hadn't really occurred to me as this, you know, as a year passed and I was taking these portraits was, um, you know, in the military, I was an, an, an archiver of stories. I was I was relating all the things that I'd seen and, and, and captured that on the battlefield and sent that back to the loved ones. And in some instances, you know, these men didn't come home and therefore I was the person to take their last living picture and that that really weighed on me and carried carrying that forward. Um, the veterans portrait project is just an extension of that to make sure that for, for historical purposes and posterity, that these veterans, these men and women are remembered for their contributions, albeit just, you know, just this small little sphere in which they operated made it, you know, in a bigger picture, uh, made the military work and made our, um, operations, successful and and helped we all helped each other get through those experiences and i think the veterans portrait project is just an amazing way to honor that and to remember moving forward what sacrifices were made and and i see that you know as you were uh, active duty and you were uh, deployed um you were catch capturing the present in order to like you said archive for the future right and so it was very much i am i am doing this now in order to look forward um, but then afterwards, um, you were capturing history. So you were actually looking backwards. You were, you were receiving this information, but you were capturing things 30, 40 years ago. Um, and, then, and then also preserving, preserving that for the future. Yep. 
exactly. And so what kind of response, I mean, like I said, I reached out because I think that the the work that you do is amazing and, and we'll make sure that um, uh, the link to your Instagram and everything is there. Um, you're, you have veterans in, in however they want to be displayed, right? However they want to be portrayed. I, I've seen uh, Native American veterans, some veterans, um, you know, saluting uh, veterans, holding pictures of other veterans. Like, it, it, so what... What kind of response have you gotten from the veterans that uh, have participated? Typically, most veterans are very, very humble, and they are very uh, cynical and also very trepidatious about taking part in the project. But once they get them in the seats, they realize that um, my experience as a combat photographer makes me uh, uh, understand exactly where they're coming from and what they're saying. Cause I know the lingo and I, I know when they talk about this or that I can relate to it. Therefore they are put at ease and I allow them to be who they really are without any fear of judgment or reprisal and are always astonished to see the portrait in the end and how I've captured who they are in in just under 10 minutes and their families as well find out something new about them every time and i find that extraordinary given given that they've lived their whole lives with them but then again i think that speaks to the veteran community and just how quiet we are often about our experiences and you know between you and me uh, you and i could chat about it because we know what we're talking about to try and explain that to somebody who hasn't been through it makes it that much more difficult. So I believe that's where the success in the project comes is everything that I experienced in the military uh, was just a preamble to what I'm doing now. I had to go through that. And I realize this now I had to go through that and experience all that I did to best be present of mind in order to do what I'm doing now. And it seems really strange to look back and feel and feel the way I did at the moment that it happened. But then again, we never, we are always, always thinking about what's best for us or what we think is best for us. And, and our expectations, when not met, tend to make us deflated. But what I hadn't realized was all that I experienced, I had to end the way that I did because I needed to be able to go through those emotions and go through that pain and allow myself to better understand to better understand the pain of others so that I could offer solace and really mean it. And, and there's a couple of really great things um, that, that you brought out um, in that number one, the, the experience that you have that put people at ease. Uh, I'm sitting here listening. You could be a mental health counselor, Stacey. I mean, that's the, the kind of, um, you are an experienced nexus. Um, I am an experienced nexus. All of the veterans that I see as a therapist, um, I see them all and I can find the commonalities to be able to say, this is how other veterans, you know, this is what makes you, the client that's sitting in front of me unique. Um, and then what makes, you know, what's common to all. But also I have the clinical training um, in, in my specific disciplines uh, to be able to say this is what works therapeutically, this is what works psychologically. Yours very much in the same way has that, that you're an experienced nexus. You've, you've physically laid eyes on over 6,000 veterans um, you know, through the Veterans Portrait Project, and you understand what is common. And so 
you have the lived experience and the professional training to bring out the best that's in, in them. And so that's, that's a really excellent uh, example of even how therapy can be if you get in front of the, the correct therapist, but that's really good. And then the piece of you saying that I went through that to do this, and this is as satisfying as, as what I did before, that's post-traumatic growth. Um, that's the other side that not a lot of people think when they think about trauma and experiencing trauma, experiencing things that, that would lead to PTSD, um, they don't consider post-traumatic growth. And I call it coming out the other side of Valley of death. When you come out the other side of the Valley of death, we know that we're stronger, we're more resilient, we're more capable, um, and we can actually do more things and do them better maybe than we might have if we hadn't been through that. Does that kind of resonate? It does. Yeah. Has, I mean, and just curious if, if it's something, have you heard of post-traumatic growth and, and what the concept is? Has anybody? <laughs> no, I've never heard of it. You're kidding uh, me. I guess, no, no, I've never heard of it. I guess I just live it. That's. <laughs> well, and, and, and that's the other thing is a lot of veterans, they don't realize this is, you know, look, there's actually a name for what I do, but. Um, but there's a lot of research out of the University of Pennsylvania, um, and, uh, and and I'll I'll make sure to give you uh, some of the links, but also to the listeners in the show notes, um, that it is actually the flip side and the positive side. It's what builds resilience. Um, you know, I wouldn't be if I was if I went in to be a clinician when I joined the army. I wouldn't have my lived experience. I wouldn't have what I went through and. And would I be as good of a, a therapist? I don't know whether some might debate whether I am or not anyway. But but just the idea of um, our lived experience, our trauma, um, you see it in cancer survivors after after getting through with cancer and then they have this newfound appreciation for life and this new newfound meaning. And so it's it's an under-discussed and, and, and under-represented um, aspect of in a very real way, you couldn't, I mean, I couldn't have said it better than you did. You wouldn't be doing the very important and, and, and outstanding work that you're doing now if you hadn't gone through the pain that you went through. Right. And, and do you see that? I mean, and, and even the idea of, you know, I, I can tell you, you know, veterans like, yeah, am I wasting your time? Or am I, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, be, who am I? I'm not special. I'm not the one um, to, to take these pictures, do you find yourself more encouraging to them? Say you are important, you are special. And then that responds to them and, and makes them feel better in a way. Well, I think each, each veteran is at their, at their own impasse, so to speak. And not there, there are some that are ready to hear that. And there are others that need more time. And I'm, I don't flatter myself to be educated like you. I, I just have been, I guess, um, trial by fire in, in that um, my experience comes from just getting face value and face time with people. And some veterans, you know, I'll, I'll tell Vietnam veterans, welcome home. And I may be one person, but I think that I speak for the whole country when I say thank you for your service. And this is the least that we can do or and the least that we owe you. And they'll just start crying because mm -hmm. nobody's ever said anything like that before. And there are others who have come to grips with that already. They are, they are past that point and, and over that bridge, so to speak. Um, I'm just lucky that I have the ability to offer 
that solace and that comfort um, when the when the uh, time presents itself or the opportunity presents itself. No, and, and you're doing great work. Um, and this being in, in, in the audio version, I, I definitely encourage um, everyone uh, to, to look up. And, and again, we'll make sure that the links are there. But um, just some of the pictures, like I said, I could sit here for hours um, just looking at this. Because we as veterans uh, value other veterans. We value service. We value history. Um, I've sat with veterans. Um, and, and like I said, I retired out of 10th Special Forces Group and supporting them. Um, but I, I sat with the veteran who um, uh, was there, um, you know, in Bad Tolts when 10th Special Forces Group was, you know, was there, you know, sort of the, the birthplace. And it's amazing for us because we know the, the service, we know the sacrifice. It, it, one thing that, um, that I've come to believe, uh, to be honest, is that this generation of veterans, yours and mine, and, and, and those of us who are serving currently, we have the ability in, in many ways, I believe the responsibility to be this century's greatest generation, um, that we can have as much of a positive impact on this century as the post-World War II generation had on the last century. What do you think about that? <laughs> I, I think that the, the men and women that I served alongside are an incredible bunch of people. And I think I... I don't know. I wasn't alive during um, the years after World War II or Korea or Vietnam. So all I can really base this on is having been witness to all the years since 9-11. And to see my brothers and sisters come home and establish organizations like Team Rubicon and Team Racing for Veterans or... Uh, other organizations that are veterans helping veterans, veterans helping the community, veterans helping each other. And for instance, you and I talking openly about post-traumatic stress. All of these things, I think, are wonderful attributes as to speaking to great volumes of the humanity of our generation and not wanting to rest on our laurels or to take it lying down. We are going, we are the generation that has stood up and said, okay, if it won't be done for us, we're going to do it for ourselves. And if that means that we are our greatest generation, then by all means, I would agree with that. And I think that if each of us in our own way relies on the strengths that we have, you and in, in your ability um, to, to capture in, you know, I don't profess to be a, an artist um, uh, as far as, uh, you know, evaluating portraits. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. But uh, the images um, that, that you capture captures emotion, captures, I mean, and literally, I mean, this isn't, you know, a fangirling over here, but it, some of the pictures have, uh, it, you know, makes my hair stand on end. Um, and and you were using your skills to be able to express your world in your way and in some way extend that to um, to the veterans that you serve. And so in a very real way, I think that um, in spite of, of what you experienced, uh, you've come out uh, and, and you've thrived and, and survived. And not that we ever think that we're going to be ever arrive and not that I ever think that, you know, it, it's, it isn't an arrogance thing. I, I think that we as veterans now, um, as you said, a Vietnam veteran waiting for 40 years to actually address what you addressed um, a, a couple of years after. And so 
Um, I, I talk to a lot of veterans who think that, uh, you know, life is maybe going downhill, that there's no, no uh, future available, um, that uh, I can't get a job and life sucks. And, and, you know, and some of that is actually literally true in some of the challenges that they face. But, uh, but I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, you, you give me hope, uh, and I believe that you'll give our listeners hope um, and, and just uh, faith in regardless of how traumatic our past is, um, we can turn that to good use. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, and I will always endeavor to live up to all the things that you just said. Um, I, I sometimes, you know, and, and I, I can't profess that every day isn't a challenge because it is. Sure. And I think, um, and like I said, probably multiple times throughout this talk is um, every day I wake up and I say, okay, I'm going to do this in spite of all of these other things, in spite of having seizures, in spite of traumatic brain injury, in spite of physical pain, in spite of post-traumatic stress and what this does to me. And I think that that, that alone and facing down that challenge is what really motivates me to get through it. And each and every individual is going to find their motivation, but they have to. They have to want to seek it out and, mm -hmm. and find it. And there will be trials and errors. And um, I, I wish everybody nothing but joy and luck in that process because it is, it is a process. And just accept that as um, part of the journey. And, uh, and as part of the journey, and there are good things on the other side of that. I mean, this is a lot of the challenge with veterans that I, um, I work with that, uh, they don't want to approach these painful parts. They don't want, they want to avoid, um, dealing maybe with, or however you want to say it. Um, but then they get stuck on that negative side of this, um, because they don't, they, they don't want to feel uncomfortable. They want to feel the psychological pain. They don't want to they want to be rejected. They don't want to be judged, as you said. Uh, and, and Stacey, your experience as, as, a, uh, as a female veteran at the VA, um, you know, I've had guests come on um, that, that speak specifically about the need for, for understanding what women veterans experience, especially regarding mental health. And so there's just these subcultures on subcultures that we don't talk about. But mm. until we start talking about mental health in general, we're not going to get these things out. I really appreciate you taking the time today and sharing your story. Um, I, I know that uh, you've shared your story before, and, uh, and sometimes it, it may be easy to share it again or, or hard to share it again. Um, but uh, I appreciate your bravery, and I, I appreciate your honesty uh, in, uh, in sharing it. And I think it's really going to help veterans uh, when they listen to this. Well, thank you again, and um, thanks to all those who are tuning in. And I wish everybody well. Before you go, um, where are you at? Social media, website, go ahead and, and tell the listeners that. And I'll make sure it's all in the show notes. Well, you can visit veteransportraitproject.com. And there you will find all of my social media links and my email address. If you have any questions that I didn't address during this talk, feel free to reach out to me. I'm an open book and I will get back to you. Um, I look forward to linking up with you all on social media. I do have a question as I looked in and we're in when, as we're recording this coming to the end of 2017, it's airing in 2018, but mm -hmm. I don't see Colorado anywhere. You said every 50 States. Have you been out to Colorado yet? I ha I have been to Junction city, Colorado Springs and Denver. Oh, okay. Well, I missed you. Uh, so <laughs> we'll have to, uh, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, and that's uh, and, and so this is maybe another opportunity is you actually, you travel around, 
um, and you have set dates that you're going to be somewhere. So if there's a schedule um, on the, the Veteran Portrait Project website, but how easy is it for a veteran to maybe get their um, portrait schedule with you? Well, if you follow the schedule and you, and I, if I'm close, we can always squeeze you in. I sometimes do RSVP and walk-ins are welcome, uh, time permitting. I, I would also say that if you follow me on social media, I will let you know in advance if I'm going to be doing a pop-up exhibition or a pop-up Veterans Portrait Project somewhere. And therefore, I would love to see you. Well, um, I'm actually going to be about when, when this airs, uh, there is a uh, creative arts uh, conference that's going to be coming. And so I'm definitely going to be making sure that everyone there um, is, is aware of this because I think that creativity uh, has a significant aspect in recovery. Uh, one of our earlier episodes was with uh, Brian Dorries and the Art of War Project um, and, and how uh, theater as an expression of mental health is emerging uh, and, uh, and, and I think that you fall into that category. So great job, Stacy. If nobody told you yet today, you're doing awesome work. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. You're listening to Headspace and Timing on the Change Your POV Podcast Network. Wow. So there you have it, folks. Uh, Stacy Pearsall, you know, it was uh, really great to be able to, to talk to Stacy and to be able to have a conversation, uh, not just about her work uh, and her work sharing um, uh, the history of veterans um, and, and sort of the portrait of veterans. You know, I, again, and I've said it a couple times throughout this episode, but you really need to go check out the, uh, the pictures uh, that she has um, that on her website. Uh, and, uh, and of course, again, all of that's in the show notes, but, uh, it's just some really amazing and impactful, uh, visual, emotional portraits that, uh, that really capture sort of the things that veterans aren't able to talk about, but they want to be able to say, um, and I really appreciate Stacy's uh, sharing of her experience, um, of just transition to mental health. Um, you know, a lot of veterans uh, that I work with, um, a talk about that kind of thing uh, that she talks about uh, even at the beginning with uh, with women veterans in the VA. Uh, it's true. It happens. It's there. Um, you know, she is uh, very upfront about it. Uh, and then just the struggles that she has um, originally at first uh, trying to seek out mental health services. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, that's something that we as mental health professionals or individuals that are there trying to support need to do a better job of. Uh, and then, uh, and then of course, uh, her work with the Veterans Portrait Project. It actually turns out uh, after Stacy and I talked, and I mentioned the Joining Creative Forces Summit uh, that's happening. Uh, actually, turns out that uh, through some of the connections that I have, that Stacy's actually going to come out uh, and uh, and talk about the uh, the impact of photography and, and mental health and the intersection between arts and how arts can be. Uh, healing a healing factor in veteran mental health uh, and so uh, that event is actually going to be occurring uh, the week that this is uh, airing and so uh, this is going to be coming out live on Tuesday uh, and that event is going to be held in Colorado Springs on uh, Thursday and Friday of that same week uh, in February and uh, and so this is a, a huge aspect of the connection between how uh, mental health professionals artists 
uh, and the expression of veterans uh, can join together for ultimate healing. And I think Stacy is a, a great example of that. So uh, thanks for listening and uh, check out the show notes at uh, changerpov.com and veteranmentalhealth.com. And we look forward to talking to you next week. The struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness, I roam, struggling to find home See, suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability So there you have it, folks. Another episode of Headspace and Timing, a show dedicated to changing your perspective on veteran mental health. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use the track Not Alone from his amazing album, Combat Medicine. Doc's a guy who's trying to bring the discussions about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you need to check him out. Head over to therealdoctodd.com to purchase the album and support the cause. You're not alone, veterans. Ever. The struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness, I roam, struggling to find home See, suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that tried to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic Tennessee, embrace my ability from your forehead it's time man you've been through enough pain stand up it's time to stand back up all my veterans man army marine corps navy air force coast guard get up you know
Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.